The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Sequel Quest, Episode 103. A sequel chat movie review of Fox's Dark Phoenix. Warning, Sequel Chat is a movie lover's podcast featuring discussions of the latest cinematic sequels in theaters now. These weekend of release reviews are spoiler-filled and highly flammable, so please use caution when listening. You have been warned. I came here looking for answers. You didn't come here looking for answers, listeners. You came here looking for permission, and permission is granted. Bash this movie. (laughs) This week, we are covering Dark Phoenix, the last, well, probably last, of the Fox X-Men movies, as they've been acquired by Disney. So, around the table this week with me are Adam and Colton. Oh boy, this movie had its issues, but I'll say it up top, it is Better than Apocalypse. I could agree with that. But is that saying much? I was always afraid to say that out loud, but I agree with that. And speaking of Apocalypse, this movie blatantly just ignores it as though it didn't happen. Yeah, I was waiting for some mention the last time that this Phoenix Force and everything, and then it's like, wait a minute, why did she have that Phoenix Force in Apocalypse when all of a sudden she's getting it here uh, at the beginning of this film? So yeah, you're right. It's a soft reboot there. Yes and no, because it's supposed to have taken place in 1983. I honestly don't know, because this movie takes place in 1992. There's no mention whatsoever of any of the events that take place. Where is Jubilee? Come on. (laughs) Somehow between nearly ending the world, the U.S. government granted land to Magneto, who was part of nearly destroying the world, to set up their own genosha type refuge for mutants and also professor x has got like a bat phone direct line (laughs) to the president like what the heck is going on here this is the upside down topsy-turvy x-men world well this is where i feel like this film needed a subtitle dark phoenix missed opportunities because (laughs) you're setting this film in 1992 the zenith of X-Men's popularity in our reality. That was the year that the animated series actually debuted, right? Exactly. And there is zero mention. They could have done the costumes. They could have made some play towards that, you know, from the Jim Lee, Chris Claremont reboot, which was the biggest selling comic book in history. I mean, there was so much, like even in Logan, they had X-Men comic books, right? Why couldn't, if they are media darlings now, why don't they have an animated series? Why don't they have comic books? Like there's so much they could have alluded to and done a little fan service with and they absolutely just had no fun with this movie at all despite quicksilver's best efforts <laughs> yeah it really it looked like the film was really trying to forgive the cliche go for a darker tone and i imagine they probably skipped those opportunities because they didn't want it to clash too much with the mood that they were creating with this film but here's my question you know speaking of the animated series how familiar are you guys with the comic book the original john byrne chris claremont telling of gene gray and becoming phoenix and then becoming the dark phoenix have you gotten into those pages in your lives i've only ever listened to people talk about it i've never actually read any source material on it at all 
Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, I, I've read bits and pieces, just haven't gone full on into it. Yeah, I mean, it's quite lengthy. I think a lot of people in their minds say, oh, it was like this story, they told it over a few issues. But I mean, it lasted over years. I mean, there was the whole concept of the Shi'ar Empire. Then there's a whole like galactic side to the X-Men yeah. that was never addressed in any of the films. Lalandra and all these people. And then the idea that, yeah, Gene just like in this film, like this probably is the most faithful adaptation in that they found a way to get them into space on some level. And so that is, you know, pretty much how it happens in the comic pages as she does try to save everybody. And there's a whole issue of, you know, Jean becoming Phoenix and then over time becoming Dark Phoenix. And then Jean was eventually resurrected, you know. Oh, she was in a cocoon down at the bottom of a lake, which again, they kind of used in the first attempt to tell the story which was x-men the last stand so i guess if you guys never read the comics then x-men the last stand wouldn't feel like it betrayed anything in telling that story but how did you feel about that movie way back when uh i just remember thinking considering how important that story is to a lot of people it felt like it was relegated to being a b story in that film Something that was that big and epic and important should have been the central story, as this film is doing. That's why I'm not over the moon about the comparison between the Dark Phoenix, this film, and The Last Stand, because Dark Phoenix takes the Phoenix storyline and puts it front and center. Everything else is ancillary to that, as opposed to Last Stand, where it was kind of a B story, while bigger, well, narratively bigger things were going on. Right, because Last Stand was dealing with the cure and all of that going on as well. So Yeah, that was front and center. Yeah, man, this does pull a lot more from the Dark Phoenix saga, but I mean, some of the things are kind of out of order that cause some issues if you're going to be strict to the source material. Honestly, hadn't heard of the Dabari. I, but... I, I had such a hard time getting a look at them in this film, but oh, yeah. it's amazing that I did see them. They just look like Groot in the dark. That's exactly it. I, <laughs> I got one little Kinda. shot of them, and I, and I turned to the girl that's with me, and I just say to her, we are Groot. And she forgot <laughs> laughing because, you know, they looked a lot like Groot in, in the brief shots that we got of them. Let's get the synopsis here just so everybody is on the same page because most of you did not go see this. <laughs> Domestically, $33 million is all it grossed. The rumored budget is $200 million. Double that to get your advertising. Even worldwide, they only made $137 million so far. They're looking to take about 100 to $120 million loss on this movie. Wow. So that synopsis here. In Dark Phoenix, the X-Men face their most formidable and powerful foe, one of their own, Jean Grey. During a rescue mission in space, Jean is nearly killed when she is hit by a mysterious cosmic force. Once she returns home, this force not only makes her infinitely more powerful, but far more unstable. Wrestling with this entity inside her, Jean unleashes her powers in ways she can neither comprehend nor contain. With Jean spiraling out of control and hurting the one she loves most, she begins to unravel the very fabric that holds the X-Men together. Now, with this family falling apart, they must find a way to unite, not only to save Jean's soul, but to save our very planet from aliens who wish to weaponize this force and take over their planet. <sighs> I'm sorry. The, the, in the film, were these aliens even referred to by their name ever? Once. It's the scene where she is pulling up in the car and there's a bunch of them standing in the parking lot and they first start talking in their alien language and you have to read the subtitles. Yeah, I just I just remember just feeling the whole time. Their presence, their 
their acting, everything about them just felt very two-dimensional, and I never once really bought into them. You know? Well, I, I think that was a direct decision was to have them be distant and very well, – I'm, I'm um, trying to find the words for this. I just – I never truly felt like there was something uniquely menacing about them. A hundred percent agree. I mean to me they were kind of a non-entity in that they didn't play far enough on either side of being evil. Hmm. Are they hiding something and they're going to trick us? Or are they somewhat altruistic because they really care so much about their race that they're willing to sacrifice another to bring them back? It didn't feel like they hit hard on either end of the spectrum. It was just kind of like, yeah, this is basically our plan. This is what we're here for. All right. Rubber stamp of villains from media that was at least 40 or 50 years old. They didn't bring anything to the table that I felt was very unique or enthralling. So it was basically a C level performance of recreating General Zod. <laughs> we will sacrifice these people and recreate our world here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just felt like to me, it was a situation where you really could have had a complete story where Jean is the villain. She's turned bad. Something, you know, has set her off that I think they've done a good job in giving it a reason in this movie. Because in The Last Stand, it was exposition from Professor X. Uh, she developed this other personality that I blocked it. There's no flashbacks, really, that show it in any major way in that movie. So, you know, you just don't feel so bad or really, again, the menace until she starts killing people. But that's the problem in this movie with the Dabari is they don't start doing anything until basically the movie is over. We never see them, you know, show their contempt for humanity other than, okay, I'm arriving at a dinner party and I'm smashing people's chests. You know, like they don't do anything major to show us that we should be afraid of them. And then at the end, it's just like, oh, there's a million of us and you gotta fight us you know and you're like okay so you're annoying okay let's let's discuss that ending so it's actually multiple endings pieced together so the original ending was very much like how do they put it in the news report another superhero movie who came out this year and it definitely was not shazam although it opens like shazam opened kind of yes deadly car crash <laughs> well, that, was the ending going to have something to do with helping the dabari relocate to the planet a human uh, no no it, oh. was, it was going to be a big space battle. Basically, she does the Captain Marvel, goes up into space. We did get a glimpse of the star ships that they flew in on when she's explaining to Jean that we were there too, just behind your X-Men on nobody's radar. There was going to be a big space battle where Jean just starts blowing up spaceships here and there. Just like Captain Marvel. Okay, I see. Yeah. Uh, I, and, I thought and they were going to help the Dabari relocate to another planet as a human. No. Help them find a new home, just like Captain Marvel. That, that's what I thought it was going to well, be. And, and I thought it was going that way, and I thought it would have been more beneficial to have the Dabari be like the Skrulls, but actually evil. You know? And so I was like, oh yeah, they're going to go with that. You know, that we got a fake out in Captain Marvel, and this one, they're really going for it, and then they didn't. Yeah, no. They brought everybody back in for reshoots a year after principal photography, and reshot the ending. That's why it's based Basically, there's the whole train scene and then they end up in this random courtyard where everything happens within a few shots just because that's what they had time and money for. And it was originally supposed to come out in February. Is that right? It's supposed to come out uh, in November. November. Oh, yeah. wow. It's February. Then they pushed it to June. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was really worried about this movie for a very long time. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm sure there was more genuine story to it with her blowing up ships out in space, probably doing the whole Phoenix look and blowing through ships. But 
man, the random I'm turning you all to dust by blowing you away random aliens. And I turned and I whispered, she's Thanos. Yeah. <laughs> and I got another laugh. Now, well, there were many a joke in that final battle amongst folks in my theater as well. But we are a family show. I will not repeat them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I will say, of the final moments, just visually speaking, the train coming off the tracks, which I think we saw in the trailer, but, like, that was kind of cool. Like, that was just a fun visual, and I thought when Magneto crushes everybody inside that car like there's a great use of his powers you know like right and, and also nightcrawler teleporting that one Damari yeah, in front of the uh, train like there were some cool moments that they came up with but at the same time some of it i just didn't feel emotionally invested in even more so i was upset by the first fight out on the street because oh, they, yes. they basically call out, they're going to hate us. They're going to think we're monsters. All right, we're going to keep fighting you then. You know, like you just see Professor X, you see everybody, Cyclops especially, just shooting his optic blast all over the place. Like he doesn't care. Like they are causing damage. Like no wonder the president disconnected the phone. You know, it's like, right. you guys made a bad choice and you knew you were making a bad choice. There's one thing that I always, it's just one of those pie in the sky. Wouldn't this be an interesting thing to see at one time that for me, came true with this movie and professor x i understand that professor x is bound to a wheelchair i totally get that i'm not unsympathetic to that fact but he is a powerful being and he mostly just sits at the headquarters and sends the troops out to do his dirty work and i always thought wouldn't that be interesting if somebody resented him for that resented him for staying at home and right never putting his neck on the line anymore yeah wouldn't that be interesting if that actually happened? And that ended up happening in this movie. And I found that to be well done. Now, they, they did give Jennifer Lawrence a send off here in the middle of the second act there teased in the trailer, which you would have hoped that they hadn't done. But yeah, which I didn't recall from the trailer. So it did catch me by surprise. Yeah, it, it's very subtle, but it is in the trailer. Jean crying and saying she was my friend and I killed her. Oh, my gosh. And it was interspersed with footage of Mystique trying to talk to her, trying to reason with her, and then suddenly being blasted backwards. I mean, it, it was a very Sony thing to do. I was kind of surprised Fox allowed that to happen. <laughs> well, yeah. But I just imagine Jennifer Lawrence jumping for joy. She reads the script. She's like, yes. I mean, this is the end of the franchise anyway, but she's like, yes. I'm dead. They cannot bring me back. I know she's she's had that reputation that she wasn't a big star when she started in X-Men First Class. And then as things went on, she's just like, I just... I don't have time for these X-Men movies. That's just what it seemed like. You can tell in Apocalypse especially, she's just phoning it in. But also, I I can tell, I was really annoyed by the fact that Fox was like, she's a big star now. Let's go ahead and make Mystique a good person so we could capitalize on Jennifer Lawrence's new popularity. And that always just kind of rung me as false. But that's the thing. They really don't mention her as Mystique. It's always Raven. Uh And they beat you over the head with Raven, 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 Raven. And even in this movie... I doubt she ever put on blue makeup. It definitely looks like it was digitally painted on the blue skin with maybe some raised prosthetics. But man, you'd think with a $200 million budget movie, you could do a literal effects. I remember specifically a test screening, and this is going back a long ways. I want to say at least six months. 
there was a leaking from test screenings where people were saying there's a scene that is so serious it's meant to be serious but it's one of the most unintentionally hilarious things you'll ever see and i was waiting for that scene and that never quite happened for me did that happen for any of you or did it get cut out you think Judy? i don't know it either got cut out or it's that ending scene right before she takes out the dabari vuk or whatever yeah, yeah her name I was told for the past few months, Fox executives and by extension Disney executives, they were very uncomfortable with this film. They they looked at it and they just they felt like they had a ticking time bomb at the box office on their hands. Yeah, this could have used more reshoots or just put it out how it was originally. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's some things to like in this movie. I mean, in in and of itself, it's a consistent film. It's not a very entertaining film, but if it is just something that you know okay it's it's a tone okay we got everybody against charles you know they're upset with xavier and really i can never hate a movie that has james mcavoy and michael fassbender because (laughs) no matter what they do they are compelling and amazing fassbender may be the most perfect male specimen we have on this planet (laughs) i just love looking at him just visually i'm just like he's awesome but he always compels me with his emotional beats, whatever the film might be. Even in Apocalypse, where I just felt like his whole story was very forced, I still believed him, you know, he was still giving right. a performance that was good. And so, to me, like, I feel like there's a lot to grasp onto there. And then, at the same time, there are some fun fan service moments. I mean, I do enjoy, like, that moment when they're on the spaceship and they have that optic blast amplifier for Scott, you know? Right, you just... the channeler. I mean, that was awesome. I, I love that idea that beast put that in there you know it's like good job hank one little throwaway moment i enjoyed was mcavoy and fassbender they've been in this this is their fourth film in the x franchise that they've been doing together and not and not to mention the characters this is like what their 10th film i don't know they meet for the first time in this film and mcavoy does the greeting routine again where he's like hello there old friend you know constantly the old friend routine and fassbender just shuts him down and says enough with the old friend crap let's get down to business (laughs) i love that Yeah, and I think also, you know, one of the things that was very fun, it was seen, uh, I think, in a music video. I don't know if she showed up in one of the trailers, but maybe I just forgot. Dazzler. Dazzler! Now, it's kind of silly and anachronistic. I don't know why in 1992 she's wearing a 70s jumpsuit direct from the comics. Like that, you know, by 1992, Dazzler had a different look. You know, she had been in the uh, Pride of the X-Men cartoon. She was in the X-Men arcade game. And she had more just the spandex outfit. So I, I know that wouldn't 100% make sense in this era either. But I was just like, it's kind of weird. Like, I was like, thank you for doing it. But I don't know if I got as much enjoyment out of it as I could have. Because it's just like, oh, she's doing a show for everybody at their beer party. Okay. Everybody's hanging loose with Dazzler singing. But it was just kind of like, eh, all right. How did you like the character arc for Charles? We come into it and it's cocky Professor X putting everybody's lives on the line and getting the recognition from the president, from all the newspapers, the magazines. Like, this is a side of Professor X we haven't seen, and McAvoy kind of sold it for me. Well, have we not seen it, or is it a return to form, something we haven't seen in a while? Because that's a very groovy mutation. You know, like, he did kind of have that smarmy attitude in first class. But there were not the same stakes in first class as there was here. Right. He was not, he was out there wearing a uniform in battle alongside everybody else. But the appearance here was he was treating the X-Men like they are uh-huh, expendable. Uh-huh. Kind of there. 
You can edit that out later. When he did finally make it to the field, you know, when they were confronting Jean in her hometown and all of that, that was a fan service moment for me that I don't know that most people would get excited by a wardrobe choice like that. That, that was a look that I was very familiar with. So I was like, oh, I love it. Most people think of him from the cartoon with the suits and things right. like that. But there was a period where he was wearing just kind of these slacks and a turtleneck and that was a, a you know, stylish look for him. So I was like, oh, cool. But I, mean, I did think that McAvoy of anybody for me I felt like had a good arc that in some ways it's the Spider-Man 3 arc right he's dealing with his pride <laughs> and he has to get over that and everybody's chewing him out and bringing him down to earth I, I didn't see him dance but I did see him with a very visceral and painful walk and that's solely like he sold that for me creepy I have to give him credit as an actor that, and I didn't think of this until today. I saw the film on opening night last Thursday, and I didn't think of this until today. He's completely bald, and he is, does such a good job of inhabiting his character. Not once did I even remotely get reminded of his Beast character in those Shyamalan movies like Split and Glass, <laughs> where his head is shaven. It's so easy. Like, for example, Harrison Ford. doesn't matter what movie he's in. If you put a hat on his head, you immediately think of Indiana Jones. You can't help it. But that tells you the caliber of acting that James McAvoy has, that he could shave his head bald again, give this performance. And, and the same goes vice versa for those Shyamalan movies that he was in. You never think of Professor X when you see him bald in those movies. Uh, y- yes and no, because he embodies in those movies – he is able to physically distort himself or contort himself so that each of his characters felt different. Yeah. You've got Beast that's big and ripped, and then he's got all these other characters which, although look more like Professor X, don't act like him. He's definitely a solid actor, just sells it basically every role I've seen him in. Yeah, I mean, when they, when they went and did that recasting, you know, back in first class, that was probably the best choice they ever made, was getting McAvoy and Fassbender as that team. They are just as effective, maybe more so just in how their characters are written in those movies than you know we got with patrick stewart and ian mckellen who i love but at at the same time i feel like maybe of all the characters that have lasted through the franchise they have been the core for me that have meant the most you know in this incarnation and i think in many ways that is the reason that these last few films haven't worked you know with with the introduction of a gene and a scott and you know getting nightcrawler and storm and everybody those young actors i just don't feel like they have the same gravitas they don't bring anything to the table other than youth and energy than what we had with the original cast like sophie turner we haven't even talked about her yet and i think there's a reason you know her whole arc (laughs) in this movie and her whole discussion is i don't know what's happening to me you know, whereas Fabke Jansen, when she was Dark Phoenix, she was scary. You know what I'm saying? Like That's she true. just she That's was true. just dead eyed. I mean, obviously she had some effects to help her there, but <laughs> she just seemed like so intent on destroying everybody and there was the malice in her and that just came through. And I never get that from Sophie Turner. Even when she like it's very subtle the shift when she goes into her Dark Phoenix mode, but I think it's too subtle. It's just kind of like, Yeah, you're not crying now. You're just stone-faced. Okay. And I, I think she's okay, and I kind of like her when she was, like, before everything kicked off, you know, and she's, she and Scott have their moment. She's very appealing that way, and, and you get connected to the character, but throughout the rest of the film, when she's supposed to be the main cause for concern and conflict, I never quite buy into her, and it's her movie. How did you guys feel about her performance? 
No, I, I can't think of anything to disagree with there. It's, yeah, she was a little bit whiny compared to Famke Jansen's performance. Yeah, and I, and I will just say, you know, I was never a fan of Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, as I've expressed, <gasps> but I'm a fan of him as an actor. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I'm running out of breath. cardinal sin of X-Men there, Adam. <laughs> I feel like as Wolverine, he doesn't fit the role, but being in those movies, tall. he works really well he was always a welcome presence and aside from again weapon x in apocalypse his weird performance and strange wire foo and stuff like <laughs> i just did not think uh, that was a cameo we really needed but everything else that he's done i'm like you know what i'm glad it was hugh jackman all this time i'm glad we have him so like the fact that he wasn't in this film i was fine with but i didn't feel like there was anybody that filled that void of the new cast that were just saying, oh, this person is super likable. I don't find any of the new cast super likable because even like Nicholas Holt, I think is maybe somebody we're supposed to connect to and feel like, ah, he's the nice guy. He's the good guy. You know, you can count on Beast and I just never do. I don't buy into him even when he's chewing out Charles. I did not like that scene. It felt forced. Yes, it did feel forced. But if DC does not cast him as the Riddler or potentially a Penguin type character, they have missed the boat. Anyway, we didn't get a Wolverine cameo in this, also because the director and writer were like, hey, as good as Hugh Jackman looks, he's in his 50s, and Sophie Turner's in her early 20s. I didn't feel the love triangle was necessary for this movie. And and thinking back, Wolverine hasn't played a big part in the first class trilogy here. Outside of Days of Future Past. Outside of Days, Days of Future Past. Like, it's been a cameo here, cameo there, a reference in Apocalypse, a post credit scene with Essex Corp that just didn't go anywhere. Kind of random because it jumped into the future with Logan and then we're back in the 90s. And I mean, they, they, they have a magazine on newsstands right now, like at the checkout counter at the grocery store today. They have the X-Men magazine. Oh, no. And I was flipping through it. It's like, X-Men timeline explained. I'm like, good luck. <laughs> is this whole magazine trying to justify it? Because that's what you need. <laughs> this has been a very confusing uh, adventure at the movie theater all these years. Yeah. Also, the internment camp type thing was just kind of wedged in there. I, I'm thinking that came out of reshoots. Oh, when they get the collars. Yeah. That was weird. That was. And I have a question about that. Maybe you guys can explain this to me because this seemed like a continuity error, which is going back to Hank McCoy Beast. So obviously, you know, initially... In first class, he injects himself with Raven's blood serum thing. So now he's Beast permanently. Then he figures out a way to change back to the Hank McCoy form. But in this movie, he's in Beast mode on the street. He gets shot by a tranquilizer dart. And then he converts back to Hank McCoy. I'm like, he's not the Hulk. He is Hank McCoy only because yeah. he, he mentally wills himself to be. His natural form is the Beast form, isn't it? Granted, it's been 20 some odd years since first class, and I'm sure he's just been tinkering. And he looks every year of it, doesn't he? Yeah, Nobody right? looks old in this movie. This well, is none of them do. <laughs> I'm basically just assuming that by injecting himself with the Raven's DNA or mutant whatever he now has gotten to the point to where he can control shifting uh, back and forth they, he, they, he could have had gray fur as the beast though a little some streaks of gray <laughs> oh yeah 
how did you guys like the little tease? I don't know if it was an actual tease tie-in, but when they're on that train and everybody's locked down, you get to see all the soldiers wearing MCU patches. Yes, I noticed that. Um, what? It, it was pretty that. blatant, and I'm assuming it means mutant containment unit, yeah. not Marvel Cinematic Universe, but a little meta humor tie-in, uh, yeah, something or other there. Yeah. <laughs> I felt like it was almost too on the nose, but not too on the nose. Right. Also, when they go to New York and they're battling in that apartment, why does Magneto pull a subway car up? Exactly. I was like, are you just blocking the way? That was the only thing I could think. She won't be able to escape. You're blocking the the way. But I mean, she's stronger than him. Like, he saw it firsthand when he basically took a dump on that island trying to hold that helicopter for the soldiers. (laughs) And then it looks like he's about to drop a deuce on the sidewalk in New York trying to pull that train up. But why? It had to have been part of reshoot. A lot of these scenes just didn't seem to fit. Yeah, maybe they just needed more action beats. Because the only thing I heard about this movie before it came out was, it's boring. It's a boring movie. And so that that was the buzz I was hearing. So I I just wonder if, yeah, they felt like they needed to insert that. But he spends so long pulling that train car up out of the subway. And I was just like, what is he doing? Is he pulling pipes out? Is he going to, like, grab everybody in pipes? And then he'll go inside and get her? Like, And then he just pulls a train up. I'm like, for what? What is, what is the purpose of this? You know, and so yeah, that that was a very head scratching action moment. Like you said, he knows he can't beat her, so you think he'd be more clever than to just do the slow snaking, you know, banister right. to come up towards her. You're just like, that's you got to surprise her here, Eric. Come on, do something to catch her off guard. When I saw that subway car come up through the street, I remember it immediately made me think about ever since the last stand when Magneto took the Golden Gate Bridge to reach Alcatraz Island. It's like they're in this race to constantly outdo themselves with what Magneto can do. And that struck me as a desperate attempt to go, ooh, I haven't seen Magneto try that before, you know? Yeah, but the last X-Men movie that we saw was Apocalypse, and he basically was manipulating the globe's magnetic field. I I, I meant like different, different more than just simply scale, but different. Having a subway car just suddenly come up out of the ground, it struck me as really <laughs> random, but at the same time, it is part of that sweepstakes of, let's have him do something that you really haven't seen him do before. Oh, it just dawned on me. This is why they did it. Because it was part of reshoots, and they couldn't get all the cars back on the street in the way that it was supposed to be. And so they brought the train up to clear the street so that they could kind of diffuse where things were when mm-hmm. they were reshooting. Wow, talk about extreme measures. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Like we were paying attention to the cars on the street. Minor quibble for me, for better or for worse, I was never bored during this movie. Like even even during stuff that I just thought was unwieldy. And maybe I'll have to see it again sometime just to be certain how much that holds up for me. But I do remember thinking that I wasn't bored while watching this. I will agree. Well, it's a very short film by comparison to what we've been getting from the MCU lately. So it it has a good pace to it. That is true. Um, But I'm, yeah, I'm curious for you guys because, you know, leading up to this, I didn't know if I was going to be able to see it. My local theater wasn't advertising the film, so I don't know if they were, like, (laughs) waiting for the canister to arrive or something. So I I was talking to Jeremy. I was like, yeah, I might have to travel for this. And he's like, yeah, you probably don't have to do that. You know? And and I was like, oh, okay. I'm starting to get the vibe, you know, that it came up. So I went and saw it. But, like, I guess that's my question is, like, 
do you guys feel like this is a movie from the terms of oh yes it's finishing out this franchise it's finishing out this era of x-men films do you feel like it's necessary in that way in the way that it ends in the way that it treats the characters and characters that die or how characters end up is it necessary in moving the plot along potentially it was pretty open-ended at the end left room for additional stories, interesting twists. Like, we've never seen Professor X just up and retire. His school was renamed from Xavier to Jean Grey. Lame. (laughs) Right. I think that really did happen in the comics, but that's still lame. And Hank taking over as the lead of the school, like, I, I think they hurriedly rushed this thing, even though it's been delayed three or four times and basically just was like well we'll get what we can get out of it in theaters and call her good yeah so i mean so the question becomes then is this film that you think ranks up there is it a film like you said you you'd have to go back and see it but do you want to go back and see it like of the franchise not necessarily like ranking it but like do you want to say yes you know dark phoenix that's one of the ones you really want to have on my shelf or what is the film for you guys of everything we've seen of these x-men team movies that really cements for you oh this is when it was good or this is how these films should have been done do you guys have a preference the one you always go back to i would say honestly of the team movies probably days of future past is the peak a lot of them have solid high points but this one still fits in the bottom for me like you've got apocalypse which is behind it and last stand has got to be behind it as well so this one's just slightly better than last stand and this is not taking into consideration any of the wolverine films no no wolverines no origins no deadpool (laughs) how about for you colton i'm curious uh yeah i'm afraid that he's got it pretty much stacked up the same way that i would where days of future past is tough to top like matthew vaughn gave an interview recently where he made it very clear that he he directed first class but he was hoping to have creative control for where the x-men franchise was gonna was gonna go for those three films and he ended up pretty much only having control over first class and that's it and he made it clear he wanted to save days of future past until later and they saw his outline like no let's let's prop it up and make it come right after the first class movie and yeah it's kind of hard to top that and I think the franchise has suffered by comparison as a result, in addition to the other problems we discussed. Well, I mean, because First Class for me was huge. Like, I really enjoyed that movie, and I was so excited for where they were going to take it. I thought, you know, Matthew Vaughn had a great eye for the characters and, and everything, you know, the way he shaped, you know, that whole story in that universe really worked for me. Even though I don't care for Jennifer Lawrence, you know, I was like, right. ah, she could be okay in this. You know, there was some good relationships. And so I always go back to First Class and say, that was was a great film however like you said it got tainted and those characters just got killed off off screen and a few of them survived and like i said i gushed over mcavoy and fassbender but for me the most x-men-y film the film that i have the most enjoyment from and that i go back and i can point to they did this they did that oh yes this moment that moment it is x-men the last stand it is the film that i i went back to see in theaters three times because i enjoyed it so much and i've done that for no other x-men film 
They gave us a sentinel head. You know, they gave us full-on Colossus. It was really the best X-Men lineup we ever got. Ellen Page as Kitty Pride. We got Iceman in his full ice form. You got the best casting ever, aside from Patrick Stewart with Kelsey Grammer as the Beast. And there, there are kind of story moments that people don't like, but even, like I said, Famke Jansen doing Dark Phoenix, even though they didn't use the comic book at all for her story, I still thought her performance was great in that. And so I think the X-Men The Last Stand, people liked the reinterpretation of everything that Brian Singer was doing, and I just never bought into that with the first film or X2. I just did not like his take. Days of Future Past, I just thought, why does he have to get his fingers back in this? Matthew Vaughn had a great, fresh start to something we could have gone with, so for me, like, X-Men The Last Stand is the ultimate X-Men film. Well, considering Brian Singer's personal problems, you never have to worry about him again. (laughs) But I mean, I guess this is the end of the franchise through Fox. I don't think we need to speculate right now. We will find out what Feige has in store for Yeah, I I feel pretty safe that after 19 years, Feige and company, they're going to want to put a very fresh start on this. I don't think they're going to craft anything other than Deadpool, which is a stretch because of the meta nature of him. Yeah, they're going to want to start over again. And even then, I'll bet you they're going to wait. Yeah, there's there's nothing in the pipeline for five years from at least from rumors, is at least five years. They already have a plan for what their story is going to be over the next five years, and mutants were not taken into the equation because they already had that plan in motion before the acquisition began of Disney over Fox. And you know something? I think that's a good thing because it will give the public a chance to kind of miss the mutant part of the Marvel Universe. Right. Cleanse the palate a little bit. Yeah. Um, Sometimes... Sometimes it's okay to miss something for a while. That, that's part of why The Force Awakens – I'm not hoping I'm not getting too far off on a tangent. That's part of the reason why The Force Awakens was so successful. When it came out, it had been 10 years since the last Star Wars movie, and that contributed a lot to its success. And on the other side, the reason why the Andrew Garfield Amazing Spider-Man films were nobody cared. You know, it was just like that happened. Yeah. It Give was a cynical short-term reboot. So – and the only dangling X-Men, you know, uh, uh. property out there right now is New Mutants. Again a victim of countless reshoots which and... let me let me check oh look it has been pushed back again april yeah. 2020 um yeah, i I've, doubt I've this sees the light of day <laughs> other yeah. than just a direct to hulu plus That's exactly release. what i've been hearing in the rumors i've been hearing whispers that disney wants to unload it on hulu yeah and that way you've just you've got all your X-Men stuff, all the Fox X-Men, just drop it all on there with your whole catalog on there. Just leave it off your slate. They're still talking reshoots with that movie. So they're they are a long way from seeing the light of day. And then over the next five years, more than likely of any of the Fox properties, you're going to see a, a Fantastic Four. Yeah. introduced because we've already had our waiting period it's been almost four years since josh trank dropped that little bomb as it were. the cleansing of that palette has kind of already begun with mm-hmm. the absence of fantastic four over the past four years and you can introduce them without having to introduce the mutants there are talks of deadpool they're trying to decide whether they're gonna give him his own movie or do a well not disney plus but more likely a hulu plus series kind of like they're doing with ghost rider and hellstrom over on hulu plus or there is this other possibility of introducing him in the third spider-man movie <laughs> which would be crazy i mean obviously yeah. they've told us there's a multiverse you know yes. so that'd be, that would be pretty hilarious actually. i mean you wouldn't even have to bring him multiverse he would mention it and shoot, just bring him in as the Stanley cameo throughout the next phase of movies before you give him his own movie. 
Just give him the Stanley glasses, give him the Stanley mustache over the top of his mask, <laughs> yeah. and just pop I've in. Heard that, I've heard that idea get batted around, and there are a lot, a lot of loud people in the fan community who don't want that. I'm okay with that, but I imagine the reaction to that would be very visceral. <laughs> Well, I, I say just make Deadpool the new Tony Stark, where he's the guy who just shows up at everybody's movies for a couple of minutes. You know, yeah. It's just some sort of Deadpool cameo, and he's like the connecting tissue between the multiverse or Have something weird Deadpool like that. Deadpool wear an eye patch and be like, I want to tell yeah, you Yeah, he'd be the initiative. next Nick Fury. <laughs> he just kind of whispers in their, in their ear, my initiative, you want to be a part of it? I promise I'll be You know, you. the last time I put together a team, it didn't go so well. Uh, we had an 80... 85% casualty rate, but I did some time travel and saved most of them. You guys have done time travel. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? That probably would work. Yeah, just spitballing here. I mean, that's that's what we do here on Sequel Quest. Yeah. We concoct sequels to movies that you'll never see. By the way, I have a quick question, speaking of Deadpool. So the one film I know that was supposedly on the slate as well was X-Force. <laughs> was that going to be a spinoff from Deadpool? Is that what was set up in uh, Deadpool 2? Were they X-Force? Uh, they were, we were X-Force, but most of them died. Uh, and, <laughs> and it left it open to where he could recruit another team. I think the third Deadpool movie was tentatively scheduled, the X-Force movie. So I think they're leaving that off the table and just going to do a solo flick if they go that route okay sony was hoping to have deadpool make a cameo in whatever the third spider-man film is going to be with tom holland uh that would be venom they're wanting venom in because it's sony i, I heard that rumor too but but i also heard like they're seeing about possibly discussing having deadpool be in the third spider-man movie yeah really that venom 2 with carnage they just need to move that over to a third spider-man film i think that would be cool that they just managed to team up and they don't you know it's that like venom is the gateway to explain to peter parker who carnage is and what that's all about you know like i think that would be a good way to do it actually and not do another venom solo film yeah just leave it be we do have a multiverse now unless they're just bsing us in the trailers so I guess we will find out shortly in theaters because our next sequel chat coming up is Spider-Man Far From Home. Opening day has opened up to July 2nd, which means it should be hitting many theaters July 1st, which is a Monday night. Also, you get the holiday weekend there. So we will be back in your ear hole soon. Until then... We hope you enjoyed all of the fun of today's episode and invite you to join us on our regularly scheduled podcast, Sequel Quest, where we imagine the next installments of your favorite movie franchises. Find Sequel Quest on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify, and on most of your favorite podcatchers. And of course, visit us at our new home on the web, theretronetwork.com. This has been a presentation of The Retro Network.